Want to just go ahead and start, or yeah, you want yeah, just go ahead and do the intro, and I'll I'll hop in. Hello, and welcome to Mature Listeners Presents. Let's hear it for the boys, Volume Two. I'm Neil here with Jesse. I'm Jesse, and we're covering the second two volumes of the boys. Uh, good for the soul, and we gotta go now. As contained in Omnibus Two. Uh, yeah. Also, right at the top, really quick, we should absolutely do a content warning for this one. Oh especially hell yeah! The, especially yeah, the yeah, second yeah. volume, which is like heavily yeah. about uh, child sexual abuse. Uh, yeah, and yeah. suicide, and it is like one of the grimmest fucking things I've ever read. That's not called Punisher Max. Yeah, yeah. That that is something we have to get out in front. Like this one, this one is serious. This is like. I want hang on, I want to just look at one thing really quick here because I feel like we're if you read this one and the next one back to back you would get like horrific tonal whiplash. Uh give me one minute. The boys. Uh oh boy. Oh yeah. Yeah, if you read this volume and volume 5 back to back, you will literally break your neck, but because volume 5 is incredibly not serious for like 90% of it. And this one is, again, just the grimmest, saddest fucking story in the entire fucking comic. Yeah. Brutal. I, Brutal. It's, it's very, very hard. Yeah. Like, and there's some stuff in there that even I had kind of missed in my last couple of reads. And rereading it, I was like, ooh, oh no, <laughs> not good. <laughs> so Yeah, also, uh, not necessarily a content warning, because we're not going to say it, but there is at least one hard R in this. Oh, there's a couple, yeah. There's a couple for sure. I yeah. I did not expect that in the nine eleven issue. I, uh, I feel like there's another one during the uh, uh, brain stopped during the G Men arc. I feel like there's another one when the G Men are oh yeah, those, about those are soft the, A's. There's those soft A's. I thought there was a hard R in there. I, I think there's soft A's from the black members of the team, and there is coded I, racial language from the white members. I, I would say I think the I thought the main G men did some racism, but like did like some hard R shit. But you know, eh. uh, no, uh, from I what I remember, it was more like uh, implication and uh, the the sort yeah. of snide comments. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Uh, Neil, did I ever tell you I actually heard somebody say? I said Nina, not Nina, once, and it was one of the most buckwild things I've ever heard in my entire life. Hmm. Like, legitimately, like, it was right after my girlfriend moved in with me. We were sitting in our shitty studio apartment, and we could hear a guy outside on the phone having an argument where he defended himself as using the soft A, not the hard R, and it was, and then he wow. went to, I have black friends, and it was just, it was incredible absolutely incredible oh my goodness it was every shitty argument that you've ever heard in like 
45 seconds crying, tears down my face thinking about it. <laughs> good times, oh good times. Oh my god. But but yeah, that is that that is the uh content warning for uh child sexual abuse, sexual abuse in general, suicide, oh, yeah. uh, racism. 9/11 probably needs a content warning. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That whole issue has a lot in it. Yeah, that issue is like... I if think you have been um, the victim of a child airplane accident, you may be entitled to compensation. <laughs> if you've been the victim of an airplane, of superheroes uh, trying to land an airplane and instead blowing out your eardrums with their super lungs, you too may be entitled to compensation. <laughs> um, yeah, do we want to just go right into it? Want me to do the recap? Uh, yeah, yeah, Start. start from the start. Okay, so uh, so volume three of the boys, good for the soul, starts out mostly being most of the volume is just uh, character building stuff, a lot of stuff about Huey and Annie's relationship. They go on their first date, it goes really well, it ends pretty funny, and the boys never stop giving Huey shit about it forever. They they will give him shit until the end of time. Uh, Huey accepts a mission from the legend to take care of. Blarney Cock. The Blarney Cock. Who has come back from the dead in a riff on superhero resurrection arcs. Uh, turns out that the compound V that keep that gives superheroes their powers, you can jumpstart the body once it dies, but you can't really get the brain back, so you're just kind of horrifically brain damaged. Uh, Blarney, Blarney Cock wants to put his hamster back up his ass and goes looking for it and encounters Huey back at his apartment. Huey has to kill him again and figure out how to dispose of a body. That whole yep. bit was, and through whole... all this, uh, Annie is also going through a crisis of faith. Yes, uh, she he... went back home to her old team, and uh, her boyfriend Drum... was sorry. having sex with the nun of the team. I was just saying, excuse me, drummer boy and hail mary. Please get it right. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. There's also a bit I've seen either in this one or in volume six where she's talk when she's talking about it with Huey, where she like admits that even she wasn't perfect, which is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. But we can we can take that later. But um uh so he kills Blarney Cock in exchange for uh the legend telling him about the history of the boys and what the fuck they're actually doing. Uh except when he gets there he finds that instead what he gets told is the history of Vaud American, uh a military industrial contractor who kinda of stumbled ass backwards into superheroes after And before we get into that I would like to sort of circle back onto like how he yeah. gets the information on Blarney Cock, which there's more spycraft stuff, bugging, we get some info on the seven with Butcher, yes. you know, watching them. Yes. Yep. They uh we also that's where we find out that they have bugs planted in Seven's headquarters by someone, question mark. Uh the boys also sabotage uh an attempt by Vought to start to move superheroes into the military. Uh by just kind of calling the president and giving them, who's definitely not Dick Cheney in hindsight. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely, it's, mm, we'll get that in a second, pin in it. Uh, and just being like, hey, yo, this is happening. You should, you should stop it, which pisses Vought and the Seven off immensely, particularly the Seven. Uh, Huey, though, goes to the legend, learns the history of Vought, a military contractor with a history of shipping subpar products that get American troops absolutely fucking murdered horrifically. 
who asked, stumbled ass first into superheroes and the licensing and merchandising and all the money that goes with them. What they really still want, what they really want, is that nice fat military contract. Uh, so when 9-11 happens, which they somehow have notice is going to happen question mark uh the president has two of the planes shot down the president who again is basically dick cheney with the vice president vic the veep being definitely like the conception of george bush as an idiot kind of wild did, did not pick up on that in the past reading it this time fucked me up yeah, a right bit. down to the fact that the reason he got in there was that uh one of the bushes killed himself with a chainsaw accident. r.i.p marvin miss you too i'm with you homie uh <laughs> but the superheroes were the president had two of the planes shot down the third one for some reason uh the air force was called off and the seven went in and it went horrifically badly ending with the plane careening into the brooklyn bridge instead of its original target of the south tower uh Let's see what else is. There. I think that's that's the majority of Volume Five. Is there anything really I'm missing out of, or out of Volume Three? Rather, I keep saying Five. Is that it? Or anything I'm missing? Uh, there is uh, the stuff with Frenchie and the female. Female is doing jobs for the mob. Frenchie is trying to con- convince her not to kill. That's right, and he's bribing her with chocolate limes, uh, which the start of what will be a running arc with the two of them is just Frenchie trying to get her to maybe not have to murder twenty four seven. 365. Uh, so we move into volume four. We got to go now, which is about uh, Huey going undercover in G-Wiz, which is like the college. It's like the new mutants team uh, for the G-Men who are absolutely definitely not a definitely not the X-Men. They are 110% not the X-Men. Uh, this is following Silver Kincaid, one of the, the original G-Men, who is not Jean Grey, uh, cr- crushing her own brain with her powers, which is fucking hardcore. Like, that that still yeah. fucks me up. Like It's a hell damn. of a moment. Yeah! Uh, crushing her own brain with her powers. Uh, so Huey goes undercover to plant some bugs so the boys can figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, M.M. is doing his own investigation of what exactly happened to Silver Kincaid. Uh, one second here. Um, train of thought. I along the way, uh, they discover that what's actually been going on is that uh, John Godolkin, the Professor X of the group, uh, has basically been abducting children, pumping them full of Compound V to make superheroes, uh, to work with Vought to get a cut of that merchandising money, and also to have children to sexually abuse for like fifty fucking years. It is. Again, the grimmest fucking thing I've ever read. Uh, in the background of that story is Vought realizing that the situation is out of hand and deciding to clean it up their way. And their way involves depleted uranium shells and flamethrowers and a couple helicopters. And they just completely massacre the entirety of the X-Men. And that, that part kind of the, the way that moment rips. is set up. The way that moment is set up with uh, Huey... And everyone but Butcher's like, okay, we gotta take care of this. We we can't. Well, everybody's just, just like, that. yeah, Huey's kind of right here. Well, I guess we're going later, du- deuces, dude. We gotta go. And they get right, the fucking. Complete... We're gonna give him a fucking spanking moment, and then and they are like 
all of them, even Butcher after a minute is just like, I guess this is, there's worse ways for me to die. And they all, they're like ready to go. And they show up and the helicopters just start fucking strafing people. Oh, yeah. It, that bit, that beat at the very end where the nameless Vaught exec comes up to Butcher and just goes, we clean up our own shit and takes the fuck off. Brutal. Fucking brutal. Um, yeah, I thought that was going to be the most brutal thing, like that conversation with the last G-Wiz member going into that. But then there's the epilogue. Which is when uh, Butcher confronts Rainer, who is the director of the CIA, uh, who he has been fucking as part of his way to get information and resources out of her. Uh, and in the middle of fucking her, tells her that he knows she's the one who tipped off the G-Men, that there was a, a mole inside, and that if she ever puts the boys in danger again, he'll go to her house and kill her whole family. Oh, that that was not the part I was oh, thinking of. I thought that was I what you were thinking. thinking. That's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of. Oh, God. Okay, Neil, can I tell you what my favorite... I'm going to say his favorite loosely here. The joke that I hadn't noticed before is that the leader of Prewiz is literally named Catomite. Yeah, yeah, I wrote I that ca- I caught that and went... <gasps> Oh, buddy. Yeah. Uh, that one was a little rough. But yeah, uh, the epilogue to the arc is Vought dumping a cargo container full of, like, six-year-olds Toddlers. into the Atlantic. Yeah, into the Atlantic Ocean, off the coast of Iceland or whatever. So, yeah, it you is, know, they clamp their shit. into your stomach shit. Uh, yeah, it's not good. None of this is good. And I think this is, like, the arc that really puts the lie to... People thinking that this book is just Garth Ennis doing gross out dick jokes and like being being Garth Ennis because this is where you remember, oh no, he is actually more than capable of being like really dark and just fucking your day up for the rest of the week. Yeah, and this, that's, that's this the boys. Is like Gar- this is Garth making a point. He is Yeah. This is this is the this is the, the slavers of the boys. The slavers is a is like the Punisher Max arc that everybody points at and goes, ooh, that's a good one. That's the one that, like, if you only read six issues, you read those, because they are bleak, and Punisher just fucks up some people's shit. This this is that. 110%. But yeah, I think that just about covers it. Do you have anything you want to add? Again, anything I missed? Not necessarily to the uh, summary, no. All right. Do we just want to get into it? Where do you want to start? Um... I'd like to know, like, you mentioned this set of issues, having the moment that put you on the train, like, where you realized, yeah, yeah, I'm in this for the long haul. What do you have to recall where that was? Uh, I am almost 90% sure that it was the entirety of uh, I Tell You No Lie, G.I., which is the arc about the legend telling Huey the history of Vaught American, but very specifically, it was 9-11. I was sold on this book because I loved the 9-11 issue. Uh, absolutely bonkers. Best issue in the entire comic, I think. Also, I, I can definitely see that. Also, I think I mentioned last time we recorded that there... I don't remember if I told this, but there's in the show, they changed the 9-11 bit to be something else to kind of keep it more modern and more relevant to the moment. But in the scene right before it happens, like as that sequence is starting... It opens on a shot of a poster of the of headshots of the seven over the Brooklyn Bridge, which is literally the cover to that issue, which I didn't realize in high, until I reread it just now. 
I th- I thought the but cover it to that opens issue was the with... kid looking out of the airplane window. Mm-hmm. There before is the first panel is him getting sucked out. No, there is there is one. Hang on one minute. Let me open it up here. Oh, I'm in the right issue. Scrolling, 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 scrolling. Like I, I remember the issue you're talking about. Yeah, the, the cover you're talking there's, about. There's that one. Yeah. Oh, it's I'm sorry. It's the start of the arc itself. It is the first issue of the arc. Is the cover they use for that poster and it fucked me up so hard like i spent the entire scene watching it with my partner at the time muttering holy shit they're gonna do 9-11 they're gonna do fucking 9-11 <laughs> on television what the fuck is this show what the fuck is this show just getting like more and more upset until like they didn't do 9-11 they just sort of did 9-11 but yeah i i fucking love that whole arc i love because that's the moment that the book I think the one of the big themes and the plot kind of crystallizes as to like what's going on, why why are the boys necessary? It doesn't tell you the history of the boys, but it tells you why they're needed in this moment, and it kind of starts to get into the one of the villains' motivations and like where's this book going? Uh, so I think that was when I really got sold on it as seeing what was happening and where 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 this whole thing was headed towards. Okay, I, I see what you mean. I I was definitely sort of in, but I I definitely felt that feeling you describe of like, oh, now I'm in 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 the confrontation between Butcher and Homelander. I was just about to say that is that is the other thing in this arc that I really love is, and that I forgot to mention, which is uh, while Huey is getting the rundown on the history of Vaught American from the legend. Um, Butcher and the other boys have a confrontation with uh, Black Noir and Jack from Jupiter and the Deep and the Homelander on the top of the ruins of the Brooklyn Bridge, which is a really good visual, uh, where Homelander tries to pick apart why exactly, what exactly Butcher's deal is, why are you so mad at me, what's going on here, uh, gets smug, gets distracted, gets pissed on by a dog, and when he goes to try to heat vision terror, Butcher's like, I'll just fucking go. I don't give a shit. Let's fucking do this, bro. Hit that dog. See what the fuck happens. <laughs> and it's real... Yo, I don't give a shit what you do to me, but you fuck with my friends. It's real that energy, except <laughs> over a dog, and also, like, stone-cold psychopath. Like, oh, he he would absolutely... Like, get his head vaporized because of a dog. I fucking love it. It's so good. It's so good. And, and, like, I love that it doesn't spell out what exactly no. the connection between Butcher and Homelander is. It just heavily implies it. And when well, you get... When when that clicks... Well, oh, and... damn. Well, and he doesn't need to, right? Because Butcher's spelled out enough of what happened with his wife that, like, once Homelander starts in on the... Okay, well, it was someone important to you, wasn't it? Was it a friend? No, that's not it. Lover? Yes. Girlfriend? Yes. Wife. There we go. When he starts doing that, it's very quick because you've already got... Like, at the end of that first arc, when Butcher's telling Huey his backstory or the part of it that he wants Huey to know, at least, he says straight up, one of the big boys killed, I got my wife killed... Yeah, yeah, blah, we, blah, we, blah. we got that part, but like we don't get a moment where Butcher says it was Homelander. We just right. get Homelander saying, 
Oh, I oh it was oh, me. That's yeah. what you're. Oh, that yes. was you. Yeah, that's it's so good. It's so good. I I really like that. There's that. Oh my God, he admitted. There's there's that bit when uh, they flash back to meeting in the warehouse after nine eleven, uh, and Homelander goes, "Yeah, the afterwards, everybody else thought that you just did not give a shit about us." Because you you just didn't felt like, they felt like you just didn't could not have given the slightest fuck about being in the room with them, and they didn't realize it until afterwards. That it, it's because you didn't. You were looking at me the entire time, and you were ready to go. And like, oh, it's so good. It's so good because it's it's when we start to kind of get a look into like, what's what's actually going on with Butcher? What's up with this dude? The answer is nothing good. Nothing good. Yeah. That combined with the sort of just general focus on in We Gotta Go Now on this sort of spycraft operation, that that is what really hooked me. Like, obviously, the, the secret history was very interesting, but, like, the boys as a spycraft operation really didn't, like, click for me as, like, something that could really dig deep into something until that arc showed, yes, we, we can do this sort of operation that really hits home on a theme. Well, also specifically, like, in We Gotta Go Now, it also starts to play up a bit more of what MM's actual role in the team is, which is being the investigator, being the one who... being the brains of the team, essentially. Like, uh, like the team has very defined roles. Frenchie and the female are the muscle period. Like, they are the psychopaths who get off on violence. Uh, M.M. is the, the the traditional brains. He's the investigator. He's the one putting all the, the clues together and figuring out what's going on based on, like, whatever bullshit he can find. Huey is the fall guy, basically. Huey's, Huey's the new guy. And then Butcher is the, the leader, the, the, the manipulative fuck at the top, just kind of making sure everything goes the way he wants it to, even as developments happen around him, I think is how I want to say it. And it's good because we really did not have any insight into what M.M. was actually there to do, other than, like, my man's got some OCD, uh, loves his daughter. It's pretty much it. Like, yeah, that's when we really yeah, start his, to his whole sort of subplot investigating the history of Silverton Kincaid is some of the driest, most uh, serious stuff in the book. You have these sort of antics with Huey, but Mother's yeah, Milk is it... just di- digging down into this really tragic story of, you know, the the sort of collateral damage, not not only to Silver herself, but to her family. Her family, yeah. There's that scene when he uh, tracks down the father, her father and goes to see him and talk about having... He, the father talks about having Silver kidnapped and, you know, how it tore his brother up who had been with her at the time and his brother committed, ended up committing suicide a few years later and just the emptiness of it and it's, yeah, the whole scene, like, there is nothing good and I want to say that's, like, around the same time that uh, they're doing, like, the St. Patrick's Day shit where, like, the G-Wiz are just pissing on each other in a bathroom. Yeah, that, that St. Patrick's Day issue is, like, that's one that I've heard about in, like, when I've heard about the boys, I've heard about the St. Patrick's Day issue. 
and it's mm-hmm. very much a Garth Ennis. Uh, Garth Ennis tells you about how he feels about, about Irish Americans. Like Garth Ennis, Irishman, tells you what he thinks of St. Patrick's Day in America, and the answer is, I'm not a fan. <laughs> um, a fun detail that you might have picked up on: uh, it is implied, and fans believe that the bartender that Butcher goes to is Cassidy from the Preacher. Huh. Ennis Ennis likes to sneak in in some of his stuff, just references to a previous thing. Uh, and this is one of them. This is, it happens again in Punisher Max with a Hitman reference, actually. But he, uh, the bartender is Princeus, and that's Cassidy's name. And he's a, you know, recovering alcoholic. Irishman running a bar. Also kind of looks like Cassidy. It's it's good. I, I really like that whole bit. I can kind of see it looking at him. Yeah, it's... It's one of those where it's like, it's not explicit, like this isn't the Garth Ennis extended comics universe, which would be horrific, <laughs> and I would fucking shit my pants and never read comics again. Uh, but it is just, it's just a fun the little GCU? detail to be like, ah, I hate you. Uh, but it's just a fun little detail, like when somebody points out, you go, ah, and then don't think about it again until the next time you reread that issue. Yeah, like, yeah. gee whiz, like, as... A character profile of like, I definitely got the vibe that this is supposed to be like a child star sort of situation. Like, yes. If this were like a decade later, it, it it would be a Dan Schneider type thing. Well, and it's not even so much child star because like they haven't made their debut on the big teams, right? Like they're just on like the, they're in the new mutants, right? They haven't graduated to Excalibur or X-Force or whatever. They're... It's about being in college with zero limits because you're in college and there's nobody there to tell you no, but also you are rich as all hell and have a room full of porno with Kleenex built into the recliners. That seems fucking weird. That seems just fucking weird. Um, I, that, yeah, that entire house is a nightmare. It's, it's Yeah, but also... It's about, like, Huey talks about how, like, they have no sense of boundaries and how their bodies are just playthings and, like, oh, right, because they were all horrifically abused as children. Right. Got it. It's, uh, grim. Grim is the word I'm going to use here a lot. It is bleak and it is grim. But also it's Animal House. Yeah, you you know that uh, scene with uh, Butcher discovering what's on a monkey's computer? Oh, and he puts his and fucking fist the, through yeah. it. <laughs> we, yeah. we don't see him put his fist through it, but it's we just cut a back to it to afterwards. The, yeah, a, a lot of that elicited that feeling from me. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it that's that's this arc. This is good news. Is you have made it through probably the darkest arc in the comic. You, you it's all easy from here, other than like an issue that we get to in like. Six or seven volumes. You'll be fine. You got this. It's okay. <laughs> there is like one coming up that is brutal. The the G-Men bit, the, the whole world that's drawn here, it's very interesting that it's, you know, drawn so full of detail for something that is completely obliterated at the end of the arc. Well, and it it's incredibly easy to do, too, because all you really have to do is it's the X-Men and then start putting people in and it's really easy to see like it's easy to infer a lot because the parallels are so obvious like well, you have yes, the weird also like you have weird like, euro trash between the groups 
Which is, yeah, but uh, yes, yes. It's it's interesting because he, he hints at so much, but also says so little, and a lot of it really just comes to that, down to them all being, again, horrifically fucking traumatized and just also, you know, f- fucked up assholes because they're superheroes, but, you know, horribly traumatized fucked up assholes. Also, there's a weird, like, Biggie Tupac thing going on in there. Yeah, like those two teams. I that, 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 when did X Men have the racism teams? I don't remember that. When when did when did when did X Men get really racist? You know what it is. You know what it is. This is this is the natural conclusion of Kitty Pride saying the hard R. <laughs> I own that issue. I bought that issue as a meme because it was I I spent fifteen minutes at work one day at the comic shop figuring out what issue. Kid, what issue does Kitty Pride say the N word? Found it, had three copies for a dollar, bought one of them. I'm not not really proud of this. Hey, is that the is same true. one that the uh, this man this monster thing comes no, from? No, that is no. Um, or am I thinking of a different instance of Kitty Pride saying the N word? So there's God loves man kills, which is probably That's what you're thinking, thinking of. of. But the one that everybody knows, where she goes, I don't know, Phil, are you? That's from. A specific issue of the comic that is in the other room. That's from like the regular book that was just Uncanny X Men number three hundred, whatever the fuck. Wow. Bananas, yeah, dude. It's not even like well, God loves man kills is it was explicitly like a prestige format, but not because Marvel doesn't call it that. But it was like a one shot like OGN. Yeah, so, like, yeah, you can get away with kind of being out there in those, and this is just like. It's just like, oh, you pick up the comic this month off the stands and Kitty Pride saying the hard R. <laughs> Wilp. <laughs> Special collectible first appearance of the N-word. <laughs> Special first appearance. Putting this in the putting this in my eBay listing. Four hundred dollars. Kitty Pride says the N-word. <laughs> that book's fucking crazy. Um but yeah, the G Man stuff. The comic, is... uh, SPLC graded. Oh, CGC graded. SPLC is something very different, Neil. Southern oh, Poverty God. Law Center. Oh, God, yes. Oh, I, just, I just got it. It took me a minute. <laughs> I hate you so much. I hate you so much. What I brought up last time regarding the way that black characters are written uh, comes up again with G-Style and G-Coast, I believe, are the names of the teams. Yeah, and that's right. I mean... It's hard to say, like, how much of all of these characters' entire deal is uh, creation of media and the fucked up sexual environment they're raised in. But the the way that these two teams speak specifically is, uh... Well, there's there's a line in there when Jamal from... Yeah, G-Wiz, yeah, yeah, I, I noted I, that. I, I, I did not realize in the back of my brain... Uh, are the only superheroes besides Annie to use their real names, like, ever. Like, everybody else is just the Homelander or, you know, Swing Wing or whatever the fuck, but, like, they're the only ones really to be called by their real names other than, like, that stupid Tech Knight gag where they're like, oh, yeah, it's just, <laughs> you're just the same guy as in the comic. Fucking whatever, dickhead. Did we ever learn what Silver's name was before she was kidnapped? I think might mention it like in passing. I could look and I could look it up really quick, um, but I think there is actually a line when they're talking about splitting up the teams and going on to, you know, the the adult teams going on to X Force or whatever, where uh, 
Oh, yeah, they do actually say her name. I just pulled up the issue real quick. Uh, but they, where he talks about going to the other teams, and he specifically says, imagine having to learn to talk like that. And it is really heavily implied that, like, no, this is like a marketing thing almost. This is, like, we have an image. You need to fit this image. Get ready to learn to talk like a stereotype of a black person. Yeah, yeah. That, Great. That really I love it. That complicated what nice. I was thinking when I, I read that dialogue. Yeah, it, it's, it's very I, interesting that like such a, a throwaway line can completely switch my head on it. Yeah, it's it's implied, and I didn't pick up on it until this time, until my you know tenth read, you know this week, where he says that that yeah no this is much like everything with superheroes, their whole reality is an act for money. They are playing characters twenty four seven, and this is part of that. This is these are the teams for uh Ron Paul voice urban youth. <sighs> Listen, this is that's that's the reference point you people get today. I don't have a better one. It's yeah. It's 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 bizarrely racist at the same time though. Like it's it's fucking wild. Yeah, yeah. It, it's getting into that that sort of crevice where I'm like I don't know how to judge this. It's very confusing and kind of frustrating, but also really makes me think, and not in the ironic way. Real makes you think. Damn, it do be like that. People, people don't think it be like it is, Neil, but let me tell you something. It do. It do be like well, it is. Who knew? But yeah, so, so much of this, these two arcs is very deft character writing, like, we get very little insight into Frenchie and the female, but what we do get is it's very impactful. Yes, very much. Um, I'm sorry, my brain is just completely fried for 30 seconds there. It's good. Like, the Frenchie and the female don't have a ton of character because that's kind of their bag is just being the violence ones. But also, like, you get so much just from just from them existing in this book and being the violence ones like do you get the sense that like frenchie doesn't want this at least not for her if not for himself uh there's that scene where they play scrabble and i i i think i pointed this out to you in the text uh they're playing scrabble and the female's words are just all like Mouth rape jumped out at me. Apocalypse, dismember, and then Frenchie's contributions are fraternity, egality, liberty, and I'm like, the most French man a man has ever been. Beautiful, love you, so good. Uh, but yeah, that he doesn't want this for her, and he's trying to find a way to keep her from doing it. And there's there's that beat where he tries to stop her from doing a hit, and he's like. I mean, if you gotta kill someone, I'm willing to die trying to stop you. Like, there's worse ways for me to go. And it is weirdly touching that he is ready to just sacrifice himself to her, at her, to get maybe try and stop her from killing someone else. Yeah, it's good. Part it's good of stuff. why this hits so hard for me might be that I've been uh, going through a tool to die young, the Nick Winding Refn Ed Brubaker collaboration for Amazon. I I did not watch all of that. I think this, I watched like the first two or three episodes. I definitely watched the one where the coked out dad is doing his big monologue with the stuffed tiger. 
I believe Bessie? that's the first episode with Billy okay. Baldwin. Sure. It's it's been a minute since I seen literally since it came out. But I remember seeing that scene and maybe like one or two other episodes and I was like, I don't know if this is good, but that scene was fucking weird weird like there was there were definitely some choices made in this scene did you get to the ukulele scene no i do not remember there was a ukulele. Scene in episode four with a ukulele that is phenomenal no when you say a scene with a ukulele are we talking like someone does a uke cover of something or like what are we talking about when we say ukulele scene here uh a police chief plays a tender ukulele song about uh the virgin mary after leading a chant of fascism in the police department. Ah. That okay, yeah, this is definitely a Nicholas Winding Refn show written by Ed Brubaker. Yeah, it is. I'm in. I I've I've heard it compared to Twin Peaks the Return a lot and that I get that. Uh it's specifically how I tied it to the boys was like the the female really reminded me of uh you know uh Dewey's brother from Eastbound and Down. I've never actually seen Eastbound and Down. I've watched like a handful of episodes. Okay, have you seen Deadwood? <laughs> no, Neil. These are Neil. These are shows that require me to spend time on them and not like doing other things. I can't do that. But anyway, for the audience, the guy who plays uh his brother in Eastbound and Down plays this guy who left the FBI to become a crystal-worshipping, pyramid-dwelling guy who hunts pedophiles. Hell yeah. Rules. Rules. And he's also dying from kidney disease. Hell yeah, the rules. I love it. This is the best best character in fiction history. Uh, Yeah, and, and the sort of, like, doomed, melancholy killer... That that really resonated for me reading that reading uh, the boys and watching that in such close succession. A very interesting yeah. archetype that they both fall into. Yeah, that makes sense. So we've talked a lot about also the... Hideo Kojima cuts off a guy's pinky with a katana. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Hideo Kojima cuts off a guy's pinky with a katana. Oh, so it's a documentary. <laughs> Like if you told me Kojima just did that, did you see the other day where Kojima was posting about listening to My Chemical Romance? Yeah, like he was and had like the fucking collector box or whatever. Insane. I saw that and was like, listen, if anybody else posted this, I would be like, this is a weird bit. This is whatever Kojima does, it. and I'm like, yeah, it's Kojima. Of course, Kojima likes Black Parade. It's a good album. <laughs> this is you know, sure, whatever. Anything you told me about Hideo Kojima, I would believe it in a heartbeat because nothing could be weirder than that man actually is. Um, but we have talked a lot about the arc with all the brutal child abuse stuff and like that. Yeah, very little about the stuff with the uh, malfunctioning army weapons and mass which, death. Which, which yeah, but I was going to say, do we want to talk about the history of Vaught American? Which real quickly love that he manages to not only give them a, a f- not m16 to do his fucking they gave the troops bad guns routine that he does anytime vietnam comes up he also then makes a point of saying then they gave him the m16 that was shit too <laughs> but it was less shit and i'm like thanks guys like it's so stupid it is he has 
one note that he loves to hit about Vietnam, and I think it's something he genuinely deeply feels and believes, but also it's incredibly funny every single time he does it. Yeah, yeah. Like, so much of that is like, okay, he's he's doing this bit, and, and there are, like, some really interesting bits in there. Uh, I'm trying to recall, like, this, some specific bits about, like, the Homelander in his early life. Uh, that he spent, he grew up in a bunker with a hydrogen bomb strapped to his ass until he was 18, and they knew he, they could trust him. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and that and the idea that, like, the, the comic book scene is entirely, like, tabloid image manipulation. Yeah, that part's really good. But even that, like, they've hinted at that a bit before in the Tech Knight Swing Wing arc. Uh, when they first go to the comic book store and Butcher's just kind of pointing at stuff and being like, that's not real. Here's that. That's, this is what's going on. And like explaining all this shit, which we never forgot to mention last time we recorded. Uh, apparently the not Daredevil had AIDS and was just giving people AIDS. <laughs> that got, that gets like mentioned as a throwaway line in that issue when they first meet the legend. Just like, yeah, yeah, Savior Hell's Kitchen sits down to piss now because I found out he was just raping people and giving them AIDS. Oh, damn, bitch. <laughs> love, 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 you, love you, the boys. Good comic. You know, <laughs> we're good people. It's so good. So good. Um, but yeah, the, we, the whole thing with uh, Vaud American as military contractor that keeps delivering shoddy project, product because, I mean, they don't, what do they care? They already got paid. Like, I love that whole thing because it is real and also like, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds like something they would do is just straight up not give a fuck because why should they? So yeah, good. And it, really... It's also the part where they uh, mention that Dakota Bob is explicitly a Halliburton guy, which puts the nail in the Dick Cheney comparison. He, yeah, he's, he's, he's Dick Cheney. Like, let's just call it what it is. My man be Dick Cheney. Men would rather be Dick Cheney than go to therapy. I I genuinely did not put it together that he was Cheney. Like I was like, okay, Victor V clearly, like a Bush parody. Like you know what I mean? Like he's he's in that wheelhouse. But I did not put together that like, oh, this is also like a riff on the popular conception, especially during the first term, that Cheney was the real brains behind the throne. Like, it's just straight up flipping it and making Cheney the evil, but less, like, explicitly money-hungry uh, president who's willing to do, you know, nightmare shit, but also is not literally bought... Well, no, I'm gonna say he's not literally bought and paid for, but he is. He's a Halliburton man. He's just not, like, you know, a vat-grown fucking creature created by them, like Vic the Veep or the vice president candidate from Transmetropolitan. <laughs> like, that's that's really the only difference, is one's got a brain, and the other is just literally a puppet. So good. Yeah, and, and the real, like, bombshell of this entire arc is the bit about this is the conspiracy. It's not ancient gods and coded signs. It's business. Mm -hmm. And and the fact that Vaud American didn't even succeed their way into being where they are, they basically failed upwards until it literally fell in their lap. They bumble dicked their way into being like the most 
profitable company in the world. They bumble dicked their way into being fucking Raytheon. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I love it. Raytheon and Disney at the same time. Uh, yeah, and it, it's what if what if Raytheon kind of ended up becoming Disney, but really still wanted to be Raytheon. Uh, <laughs> and I think one of the one of the changes official that sponsors the sh- of the Hugos, Raytheon. God, that was so fucking stupid. I hated it so much. <laughs> I hated it. Um, but one of the changes that the show makes that I think is good and interesting and timely, like it's it's one of the best changes they make to kind of update it, is it stops being, what if Raytheon became Disney but still really wanted to be Raytheon because that's where the money is? They just leaned really hard into what if Disney wanted to be Raytheon. Like, I think I've said this, the opening shot of the show is like the MCU title card, like that that Marvel Studios title card, but with characters from the Vought comics. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is right on. It is It knows exactly what it's doing from the first time that, that show starts, and it's, it's real good. And then Homelander jerks off. It's a good show. You should watch that show when we're done. I'm definitely planning on it uh, as one of the shows to go after uh, I'm finished with Too Old to Die Young or Deep Space Nine. Ooh, you'll finish Too Old to Die Young first. There's like 150 years of DS9, and I love season one of DS9, but I have not finished season two, and it's been like six months. I I just finished season two recently. It's nice. I watched that opening like three parter with the uh, the war hero who's just like, no, I'm just a dude. I just happen to be in this spot, and I just give everybody something to look up to, and that is way more complex than I expected a network sci-fi show to be in the '90s. <laughs> Again, heavy shit. Why is this so heavy? And that season also has an episode with a guy who's really lucky coming to Deep Space Nine and competing with Quark. Hell yeah. This is like that moment when you watch like the first reboot season of Doctor Who and you're like, oh, there's like a real story here about like revenge and him being just a doctor just being a fucking psychopath who's broken by war. And then also here's an episode with farting trash can monsters. <laughs> and just whiplash. Whiplash for days. Much like the boys. <laughs> uh, you know, now that I think about it, Butcher oh God, was no! Just exactly like oh, no. Eccleston. No! Oh my God, he does. <laughs> right down to the costume. He does. He is. He is Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor. Oh, I hate <laughs> it. Go to hell. This is this is worse than French anime JoJo. <laughs> fucking monster! Don't you do it? Don't you fucking do it? Um. But yeah, no, I really like all the stuff about the history of Vought. I love that, you know, it goes back as far as World War II. It's hinted that there's some connections to the boys going back that far. Uh, because the legend specifically mentions Colonel Mallory. Uh, real quick aside, because I was I was primed to notice it because I read a bunch of Akewood. The legend speaks in bigger lettering than everybody else. Did you catch that? Like, he is permanently yelling. You know, I'm having trouble finding a scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Wow. And it is it is always like that, even in his, like, Xboxes. 
it's it's very much supposed to be like Stan Lee in full pitch man mode twenty four seven. It's very <laughs> good, and I I think the reason I noticed it is because I read a bunch of Akewood this weekend because somebody made a PDF that is the entirety of Akewood yeah, with alt text. Yeah. It's really good, uh, and I was thinking about roast beef's small small text as like him just kind of mumbling and being depressed. And I think that was kind of what primed me into was the legend just being loud all the time. It's really good. Good, good touch. The legend. Like how I ain't mindful of good sense, true believers. The, 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 the legend who's who's Jack Kirby, but also Stan Lee, and there's a like a loose Roy Thomas joke in there. I think like there's definitely some like somebody stole my shit shit going on. It's real good. It's real good shit. Love it. I love the legend so much. Little fucking freak. And then, of course, there's the bit with Lamplighter. Yeah. Yeah, who they just, who burned Mallory's granddaughters alive, and the boys, the seven responded by handing him over to the boys so he could be beaten and executed. And now he's a zombie in the basement of the fucking helicarrier. Which, how does a helicarrier have a Yet trying to recharge his lamp with shit, I think, is the line somebody says at some point. Oh my god. Like, he's just, just not there, which kind of goes back, because there's a kind of a running arc through what we've read today, for today, rather, about the resurrection process and how, like, it doesn't actually work because your brain doesn't survive without oxygen. Because you think, because it starts with, with the, the bit with Blarneycock, right? And then you get the stuff with Lamplighter in the same volume, I think. And then you go into the G-Man arc where... Uh, part of it is that Godolkin wants Silver Kincaid resurrected and handed back to him. Also, he's got another one who's he's their their uh their storm analog Nubia, yeah, Nubia. which like ooh, ooh, that's some spicy meatballs. Um, yeah, again, did not catch that the first time around. Or the eighth, read that the other night and went ooh, yikes. Um. <laughs> But she's been resurrected, and she is very much not there. And what little bit seems to be there is begging for death. <laughs> not not good stuff. Do not resurrect people. Do not bring back your dead superheroes. Cough, Marvel. Cough, DC. <laughs> did you see there? Did you catch there's a joke about Electric Superman in there? Oh yeah, yeah. Would you be willing to be blue for a while? And Homelander just goes, "How original." So <laughs> implying that they have literally done this before, that this is not even like, oh, the first this is going to be a bold new thing. It's just like, no, you've done this shit already. The fuck? <laughs> Electric Superman owned. Fuck the haters. Electric Superman has like the tightest costume of all time. I fucking love Electric Superman. By the way, I, I really love the the one sort of like bleed panel where it's the original seven in just retro mode. Yes, that's really good. During the the flashback arc, yeah, it's uh, it's when they're talking about, or it's when Legend is telling Huey about like the creation of the Seven and how like they figured this process out and they they made Homelander and then they did six more and nothing else really holds a candle to them because it also gives you a nice little reference as to the power levels of uh, Annie Starlight and. A train compared to everyone else on that team, like it really. There's that bit in 
like the second arc where uh where a train is just terrified of homelander and like this arc is just very explicit like yeah they're superheroes but it's like it's not the same weight class it's like taking a fucking candle to the sun like you're just gonna get smoked very good folks i like the boys so we we've already talked about uh, Derek Robinson's contribution to things, just the 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 facial detail that really sells all these jokes. Mm-hmm. It's it's very apparent how much he's contributing when John Higgins steps in for issues twenty six and twenty eight, mm-hmm. because my goodness, the faces in those issues. When Russ Braun comes in, the faces stay really good. I think that is something that Braun is really good at. It's just, it's different, but it's still, like, I think that may be why I think of him as, like, the only other artist who worked on that book is because they kind of hit that same note consistently. Uh, and actually, we're going to get some Russ Braun next ish, next uh, episode, I think. I think uh, he did Herogasm. Uh, yeah, I, I specifically love that, like, 26, you get Higgins, and then 27, the St. Patrick's Day issue, Derek comes back, and then it's back to Higgins. Like, yep. he took the, the other two issues off so he could really nail this one. Yep. It's, yeah. And, and this is when I think you see Robertson start to kind of drift away from the book a little bit. And I don't know the specifics of what was going on. Um, but I think this is when you see him kind of start to drift in and out and you start to see more fill-in artists. Because I think we already had, didn't we already have, like, one, that, uh, a couple that John McRae Schnezberg, I believe. What? Schnezberg did uh, some of the Russia ones, right? Uh, I maybe. I know that at some point John McRae comes in and does a couple. That I'm I not have seen in... McRae credited in this one. Not it may yet. Have been okay. in the no, first omnibus. It is, no, it's not yet then. Uh, eventually McRae comes in and does a couple. I want to say Carlos Escara does a couple issues randomly. If it's the ones I think... It's good ones to get a scare for. Um, yeah, I think this is also when you start to see Robertson. Again, I don't know what was going on with him in his personal life or whatever, but I think this is when you start to see him kind of drift in and out of the book as he is able to. Uh, but yeah, it's he is definitely like one of the two people I associate with this book, and I think a lot of it is how well they sell the characters. Both of them do, rather, I should say. I kind of want to skip the uh, vibe check because I've been feeling unwell recently, and uh, hopefully I'll sound better than I do next time we record. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say for vibe check real fast. Uh, Banjo Kazooie is out on Switch. If you've got the N64 shit and like, you should play Banjo Kazooie. That game holds up pretty well, actually. Controls like absolute dog shit, like every N64 <laughs> game that's not Mario 64, but like, hundred and ten percent. You should fucking play it. It's a good game. All right. And with that, we'll see you next time. Tailwinds. Later, folks. Seven days a week. Wet ass pussy. Make that pull out game week. Cocktail shit, bite your lip. Ask for a call while you ride that dick. Why you really ain't never got a fucking for a thing? You already made it my life. <laughs>